You are listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. Resonate is a collegiate church planning network in the Northwest. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at resonate.net. Hey, Resonate, it's great to be with you again as we continue and enter the fourth part of this series uh, that we're calling Rock of Ages as we look at the walk through most of the book of 1 Peter. Keith and Stephen have uh, walked us through really what is this a very challenging and timely letter for us about what it means to live for Christ, the rock of ages, in the midst of a culture that is in opposition to the Christian faith. And, you know, it's really, I do think it's a timely letter for us as we look at the the rapid changes taking place in our own culture that are very likely going to make it harder to live for Christ and than we've ever known in our lifetime that's coming. And so uh, this letter is so very uh, appropriate. It was written to followers of Christ who were facing a lot worse things than, than we have faced so far in our nation. Uh, but it just gives guidance on how to respond uh, to, to the difficulties and uh, to, to those who are in opposition. Like if, as if you were, have been watching the last few weeks, you know, do not return evil for evil, return evil with grace. I mean, returning and responding to uh, the, the difficulties in a way that's so different than the, than the rest of the world. Peter tells us how to suffer, but not just how to suffer. He tells us how to suffer well. And so today, as, as we go into chapter four, it's almost like Peter takes us back a little bit and, and says, let me show you what God does on the inside to equip you to live like that, to equip you to live with boldness, to equip you to, to live with, with deep faith. Let me show you how I work on the inside to impact your life on the outside like that. And in fact, I think what happens today is very, it's very challenging to us because uh, we deal with the question that he doesn't ask it specifically, but we deal with the question that's an incredibly important question for us to settle over and over. And that is the question of why do I follow Christ? And if I'm a follower of Jesus, why do I follow him? Why do I keep following him? And, you know, there's a couple of answers to that. You know, do I follow him? And this is something that we've really got to think through. Do I follow him so he'll make my life better? Do I follow him so that, you know, the things I try will will succeed so that I'll do well in, in my life and career so my children will do well? Do I believe that following him means that life's just going to be better? And is that why I, I follow him? Or do I follow him because he gave his life for me? Because he did for me what I could never do for myself. And certainly he did for me what I don't deserve. Why is it I follow Jesus? And, and of course, I think it's pretty clear in, in the way I presented it, which would be the right answer, right? But I, I think honestly, and what we'll see today is we may not really know the answer to that for us until the pressure's really on, until the heat gets turned up on a, in our lives. And then we find out why we're really following him. Then we find out the truth of our, of our motives and why we're doing what we do. So today we're going we're gonna to be in, in, in chapter 4. We're actually going to start in verse 12, and, and we're going to talk about suffering. I've titled the message, When Suffering Comes. And I didn't say if suffering, suffering comes, but when suffering comes. 
And, and so it's really one of those topics that none of us likes, but that all of us are pretty familiar with to some, to some degree. It's been said that there are three kinds of suffering. There's, there's human suffering, that you, things that you're just going to suffer because you're a human being that lives in a fallen world and, and there's a lot of pain in the world. There's carnal suffering, that you, suffering you experience because of your sin and the consequences of sin. And then there's Christian suffering, which is suffering that comes because of your obedience to Jesus and sometimes those who, who don't like it and the, the challenges that can come from that. And that's probably primarily what Peter is addressing, though today we will, I think we'll see all, all three kinds of the suffering addressed in this passage as we look and start in, in, chapter, in chapter 4, verse 12. And as we walk through it, I, I think Peter gives us some things to do when suffering comes. And the first thing he says to us right at the beginning is that when suffering comes, don't be surprised. Look what he says in verse 12. He says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Now, there are, there are a number of key words in there that we just need to touch on. First of all, he says, dear friends. Some translations just says, dear beloved. He, he starts by addressing us as friends and addressing them as friends. He doesn't say, you idiots, come on. He, you, don't be so surprised. He says, no, beloved, friends, remember this. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal, the fiery ordeal, we'll come back to that in a moment, that has come on you, and it's come on you for this purpose, to test you, to prove you, to prove your character, to prove what is in there. As He says, don't be surprised as though something strange, it's, the word strange is really kind of a, a lot like the word surprise. Don't, don't, don't be surprised as though something strange were happening to you when these trials come. And he calls them a fiery trial or a fiery or ordeal. That word fiery is the word purosis from, uh, from the Greek, and it means to purify. Now, this is not Peter's first time to refer to our trials being something that, that purify us. And I, I'd like to go back actually to chapter 1, where in verse 6, he, he addresses this as well in 1 Peter 1, 6. He says, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So when Peter refers to this fiery trial, he, he's referring to what God does in us through the trials. It's like God puts us through the fire through a purification process. And he talks about the refiner's fire. It's referring to when gold is purified. It's, it's melted. When gold is purified, it's actually put over the fire and actually melted. And once it's melted, these impurities start to come out of it. The, the, the impurities start to rise to the top, and that's when the refiner can, can deal with them and, and scrape them away. In fact, it's been said through the years that, one, you know, the, the refiner, how would he know when the gold is, is completely pure? 
It's been said that the refiner would say, I look for my reflection in the gold, and that's how I know. And I love that picture, the idea of, of our Lord, when we go through the trials, refining us, purifying us, that he might see more and more his own reflection, the, re the reflect reflection of his son in us. But the thing of it is, is that kind of purifying, it can't happen without the fire. And I don't know if you're like me, I, I'm, I'm often like, Lord, couldn't there be a, another way? C couldn't I grow in my faith and deepen my faith without pain? I sh sure would like there to be, but uh, there's certainly a number of ways we can grow, but it seems that this is probably the deepest as the Lord allows pain and suffering to come into our lives from all kinds of different perspectives. So he puts us through the fire and he says he does it to test us, to, to prove who we really are. They like to, to poke and to peer in to who we are because fire brings separation. Uh, the, the pure can handle the heat, but, but the impure cannot. And so the, the fire kind of begins to separate it. It helps us recognize the difference. So spiritually, uh, when Peter talks about being refined by fire, he's talking about our faith, how God deepens and strengthens our faith through this. Um, so spiritually, uh, a trial or trouble is what shows you what's really on the inside. It shows you what you really trust. See, troubles and trials as a follower of Christ are really all about trust because we all have this divided heart. I mean, we don't even know it all the time. We, we don't know it till we go through the fire. We don't know how, how to put more trust in Jesus until we go through the fire because it's not until we go through the fire, that fire underneath our lives that begins to, to, to bring to the surface those attitudes, those perspectives that, that aren't honoring to the Lord. You know, the refiner cannot see those things in the gold, in the gold when it's at room temperature. It has to go through the fire. And the same, the same is true with us. So what does that look like in our lives? What does it look like? A couple of examples of, of what that refining fire process looks like as we go through suffering. Tim Keller says that when we go through the suffering, there are two things that the furnace shows us. It, it shows us what we really trust, and it shows the inadequacy of what we trust in. And so I want to just kind of think about that for a little bit. Just talking about that it shows the fire kind of shows us what we really trust. And that happens partly when we are at risk of losing something. Sometimes we don't know how much we value something until we are at risk of losing it. And sometimes that happens with our work, doesn't it? Our, our income or our, our career, our job that maybe we really like and we're thankful to be doing it, but maybe you get put in a place where you're told to do something that you know goes directly against your own value system, against what the Lord would have you to do. And then all of a sudden you're in the fire. What am I going to do? If I refuse to do this, to be uh, faithful to the Lord, I, I could lose my job. I could get demoted and you're, you're in the fire. You have some things you have to, to decide. It's, it's really, really tough. Or kind of the other side of that, even if we just still think about our career, sometimes it's not a decision we make. Sometimes our, our job's just taken from us. Sometimes it just goes away, a layoff, or uh, maybe didn't see something coming. And, and so 
that's being in the fire too. What do, what do you do when that's taken away? When those things happen, we're really able to see what it is we've been trusting. We're able to see, was it, is it the Lord that I've been trusting or has it been just the income or uh, just the, you know, the support I get and the accolades I get at work and what is it I've been trusting in? Um, it, it, the fire helps us to uh, choose our allegiances. It helps us to see where our allegiances are. Uh, when bad circumstances come, you know, you, you realize what you are trusting the most, what you're most devoted to. And it, it's, it's, Tim Keller says it like this, it's in some of these moments where we realize, uh, maybe goes back to my uh, initial question of why do we follow the Lord? That sometimes we may hear the Lord whisper, did you get in this relationship for me to serve you or so you could serve me? Or maybe say it another way, did you, are you doing this so that I can be your assistant or so that you can be mine? Are you in this so that uh, I'm just a means to an end or are other things the means and I'm the end? See, when the, when the heat is on in our lives, that's when those questions come and those are good questions to have to wrestle with and to be, to be able to honestly answer. And sometimes we can know the answer, but it's not till the, we're in the fire that we really know where we are and, and what the true answer is. It, what we've been trusting is made a lot more clear when, when we're in the fire, only when the, when the heat is turned up. Um, maybe to think about a different analogy, is uh, not just the fire, but when, when the pressure's on. I think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, the word Gethsemane means oil, uh, not oil, olive press. It means olive press. Olives are pressed three times to produce olive oil. Jesus was pressed three times in the Garden of Gethsemane. Three times he prays, Lord, is there any way that you could take this cup from me? But ultimately, we see his allegiance. He says, ultimately, not what I will, but what you desire. And of course, you know, we could say, well, yeah, but that was Jesus. I'm not Jesus. And, and that's, of course, that's true. But Jesus was, if Jesus was fully human, he could have chosen something else, but we see that he didn't. And he is our model. He's our example. And he's the one that we follow and the one that walks with us in the fire as well. And so it, it, not, it not only shows us what we, you know, what we've been trusting, but the fire can help us see the inadequacy of those things we have been trusting, those things other than Christ that, that we've been trusting. Suffering clarifies what we've been living for and what we're basing our trust on. Just take for example, uh, it, it might help us realize that I've been basing my life on, you know, physical attractiveness, on beauty, on, on, on sexual attractiveness. I mean, I think since the beginning of history, beauty has been put forth in, in uh, culture as one of the most important things to follow, one of our greatest values. And, and uh, however, the problem is what happens if that's your greatest motivation, your greatest value, and then you lose your health? Well, then what do you do? Or honestly, you get old, <laughs> then what do you do? What if that was what your life was based on? Then, then what is there, you know? Or familiar example, but it's real because we all deal with it, financial success. I mean, how much of a value is that in my life? 
you know, if, if there's nothing wrong with having money, but if that's what I'm basing my life on, what happens if I lose my money? What happens if I get sick and no amount of money can solve that problem? What happens if there's a broken relationship and no amount of money can fix it? Um, see, there's a lot of things that we can base our life on that we can lose that won't last. And our culture actually believes that we can get to the place where life isn't worth living. So you should be able to take your own life because we get to that place where life just isn't, isn't worth it. But that's a picture of living for things that can die. That's a picture of, of living for things that, that could end. Uh, where God would say that that's just a picture of what happens when you're living for false gods. Or we could live for something that will never die. We could live for one who is eternal and who will never leave us and who will never stop working. You see, there, there's, there's nothing else that we could live for that won't eventually go away except for one, and that's Jesus. Last week, I, I preached in Coeur d'Alene, and after the service, I, I met a, an older couple, and, and the lady said, you know, my whole life I've been active serving the Lord, serving in the church, but now my health is really, really bad. There, a lot of days I can't even get out. And she said, for a while, I was sort of feeling sorry for myself and, you know, I can't do anything. And then I realized, she said, I, I can pray. I can pray for people no matter where I'm at, no matter how I feel, I can, I can do that. And that's the way it is with the Lord. We never run out of, of purpose when we're following Jesus. And again, sometimes we can say that, but it's when the fire comes that we really, we really uh, discover I remember when uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman, a uh, well-known contemporary Christian singer, when his daughter was killed in their driveway uh, several years ago. And he, I mean, he went through just this crisis time of, do I really believe all these things I've been saying and singing? And he, and he really did a soul-searching time and came back to believe, what else could I believe? What else could I place my trust on except this one? who is eternal, who will always be there. See, the fire doesn't burn up what is pure. We can be strengthened in the fire when our trust is on the one who never dies. But again, we won't know that ultimately till we go through the fire. And that's why the Lord loves us enough to take us through the fires. He allows us to go through the fire, not because he's mad at us, but because he wants to deepen us. And by the way, he says, don't be surprised when this happens. And I would say sometimes that it's the surprise that rattles people's faith just as much as the suffering. Uh, man, I've walked with a lot of people who have had sudden things happen, like a, a suddenly realize a spouse has been unfaithful or um, a sudden job loss or the sudden death of a spouse or of a child, the most incredible pain that you could imagine. And and I've seen people recover well from that and their faith continue to grow. And then I've, I've seen others that they just, they, they weren't able to, to respond back. That, that surprise changed their view or maybe brought to the surface a view of God that, that uh, didn't allow them to continue to, to trust Him. So that testing, that testing is there. Sometimes it's in the surprise. So Peter says, don't be surprised. It's going to be a part of the journey. It's going to be a part of, of walking with Him. I wish we could do it another way. I wish it was less painful. 
But in this life, it's going to be part of it as we, we will go through the fire. So first of all, he says, don't be surprised. But then, then he says something crazy. He says, rejoice. Rejoice that you bear the name of Jesus. Now, I'm going to come back to that word rejoice in just a moment, but let's keep reading. Verse 13, he says, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. He's talking primarily here about those who are suffering because of their faith in Jesus. He says, uh, rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. And then he says in verse 14, if you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. <laughs> the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Wow. Now, I don't fully know what all that means. I, I know it's, it, it supposedly gives kind of the idea of a blanket kind of coming over you, that the, the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. I, I know at least part of what it must mean is that you can rejoice if you've been insulted because you're following Christ, because there's something about you that that people see as different, that, that Jesus is showing himself through you. And so you can, you can rejoice at that. Now he goes on though to say, but if you suffer, just, just to clarify, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even a meddler. Isn't that interesting that he says that it's almost as if he says, if you're going to suffer, I'm not talking about suffering for doing wrong. I'm talking about suffering for doing right. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm saying don't suffer from doing wrong. It's like he gives the worst and the least uh, example, murder or meddling. And the word for meddle, meddling there or meddler is used, part of the word is the same word for overseer, like the leader of a church, overseer. It's like saying you don't have to have the authority over everybody's life. You don't have to be meddling in everybody's life. Don't be suffering for that. Don't be, maybe another way of saying, don't be suffering because you've been a jerk for Jesus. He says, suffer for, for doing right. And then he goes on, however, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Now, he, he, I, I want to go back. He said, rejoice when, when you're facing suffering, especially when your faith has been Uh, those have opposed your faith. Uh, Really? Rejoice? Is that our first response? Of course not. In fact, we would almost say it makes no sense. But I do want to clarify. I mean, you know, there's a number of places in the New Testament where we are told that when we suffer, we should have joy. James says, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you you encounter, you know, difficulties and struggles and how does that work? Well, he says rejoice. I want to just clarify that rejoice is a decision. It doesn't, it's not the same as enjoy. He's not saying enjoy the suffering. Of course not. I mean, that'd be crazy. Enjoy suffering. Nobody enjoys suffering. It's painful. But he's saying we can make a decision in the midst of our suffering to show thanks to the Lord just because it shows that he is at work. You see, we have the ability to carry or to to have more than one feeling or one perspective at the same time. We can carry those. Uh, And especially many times it's in suffering when you see that you can. I I think about when my dad and when my mom and my brother, when each of them died, man, I grieved. But at the very same time, I genuinely 
was so thankful and hopeful because I knew they were with the Lord. And so I experienced both sadness and joy at the same time. We can do that. So he says, rejoice. We, we can be thankful that the Lord is at work, that he is using us, that he is shaping us and working in us for his purposes. And we don't rejoice because we feel like it. It's really an act of faith. We rejoice because God's word says he's at work and we choose to believe it. And so he says to, to do that, to rejoice. Think about that, what the apostles as in, in Acts chapter 5, verse 41, they have been before the Sanhedrin. They have been persecuted. They're probably walking away with cuts on their back. Um, but look what, it, look what it says. It says, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. I mean, what a radically different way of responding to suffering, and especially suffering because of their faith. Then there's one other thing. I'm going to move on to verse 19, sort of the end of this section of the scripture. And that is that Peter tells us to commit uh, ourselves to God, to commit ourselves again to God. Verse 19, it says, So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Commit yourselves again to the Lord. It, it, this is something we do again and again when we're walking through a trial. There's just times when we need to stop and go, Lord, I just want to say to you, I'm committed to you. I, I'm not going to go away. I, I, I'm committed to you. And I want to still be used by you right in the midst of that. Sometimes we, we do that not because he needs it. He knows our hearts better than we do. We say it because we need it to remind ourselves, no, I, I belong to you. I'm going to continue to walk with you. So I commit myself to you and continue, even in the midst of suffering, to do good. I was reminded uh, this week about, about Hugh Latimer in the, in the mid-1500s when Mary, in England, when Mary became queen, he was a, he was a preacher and, and committed to the Bible and to the gospel. And she had him arrested for uh, heresy and had him and him, him and he and his friend Nicholas Ridley burned at the stake. I mean, literally put through the fire. And it said that his last words, as as the fire was being lit, he says to his friend, "Be of good cheer, Master Ridley, and play the man, for we shall this day light such a candle in in England as I trust by God's grace shall never be put out." Now that's an incredible response. You can choose to do good, to choose to commit again to the Lord and do good. So all this talking about suffering. So how are you doing when it comes to suffering? How do you respond when hard things come into your life, whether it's because of your faith, whether it's just because of, of life? How do you respond? Do you, are you surprised? Do you get angry? Well, if you do, the Lord can handle that. But do you, do you get angry? Is that kind of a normal response to when the, the trials come? Or are you able to remember that he's at work and to rejoice? Pretty radical thought. And then are you able to commit again to him? Or do you find yourself 
distancing yourself from him when, when suffering comes. You know, if you're angry at him, just talk to him. The worst thing you can do is get quiet toward the Lord. The worst thing you can do is just back away from him. You know, he's patient. He's going to wait for you. But you will suffer even more because of that and maybe miss some of the, the deep wells of faith that God is wanting to carve out into, in your soul during those times. It is through the fire that God shapes us. And you, you've probably, you probably know people kind of on, who've responded well and who hasn't, some who haven't, some who've walked through really tough times and it, they, they kind of moved, moved away from the Lord. They got bitter, they got hard for whatever reason they moved away. And then others whose faith has deepened. I think I've told some of you about a friend of ours named Sherry. She was at the church we were in before we were here. And, and uh, Sherry, if you knew her, I just, I wish you knew her. But when I first met her many years ago, uh, it was not long after her oldest son, who was 27 years old, had one day he got a real bad headache and the next day he died. It was just sudden. It was a shock. And they were dealing with that when I first met them and they were grieving and they were processing all of that. And, and then I watched them do that and I watched them continue to walk with the Lord. She and her husband and they had another son and two other daughters. And, and then several years later, their, their other son had been born with a 4P minus chromosome deficiency. And that, that meant that he never walked. He never said a full sentence. He was in a wheelchair and they loved him so well. But when he was 27, he died. I was in the hospital with them when he was, when he was dying and, and I watched them. I watched them as he died, and then I watched them in the, the months after he died. I watched them grieve. I watched them uh, process the changes that came to their life as they didn't have to push the wheelchair and, and how they missed him. And I watched them again choose to follow the Lord. Well, a few years later, uh, Sherry's husband got cancer and eventually died. Man, you know, third time. And, and it was, I watched her really grieve, really hurt, really kind of, Lord, you know, really wrestle with him. But I, I watched her eventually as she processed honestly, again, continue to say, Lord, I belong to you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do good. Today, one of the ways she serves at the church is she's, she's, uh, they have cameras at the back of the auditorium during the worship services and they have these little platforms that hold the camera and she runs one of the cameras. And most weeks she kind of gets in trouble because during the music part, she will forget that she's running the camera and she'll start clapping to the music and shaking everything. And they'll say in her earpiece, Sherry, you got to stop jumping. You're shaking the camera. But I think it's a beautiful thing. And if you didn't, if you didn't know Sherry's background, you would have no idea. Because she continues to walk with the Lord and and to praise the Lord and to worship Him and to, to be committed to Him and to do good. <laughs> so let me just say, man, some of you are probably walking through some deep water right now. You are in the fire. And I, I just want to say, remember, the, the Lord is with you. He doesn't do this because He's against you, but because He's for you. Would you choose to trust him? Would you choose to rejoice that he's doing more than you can see or feel? 
Would you choose again to say, I'm committed to you. I'm going to continue to serve you, to do good for you. See, it, it, only your faith in Jesus will handle the fire of reality. Only in the fire do you learn what it means to trust God. Some of you are there. Some of, some of you will be. And it's in those testing fires that God will deepen you and will then use you in ways beyond what you might ever imagine. It's hard to believe it when you're in the fire. It's hard to believe it when life is, is really, really hard and you, you just really can barely see down the road. Boy, he has a way of doing that. You just keep walking with him, trusting him, leaning on him, and let him do what he needs to do and wants to do in you as you recognize the things, those impurities that come out. I want to pray for you as, as we close today. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you, uh, you are faithful to us, that you don't just put us out into life and say good luck to us. You walk with us, even go through the fire with us. And Lord, I, I pray for those who are suffering right now, grief, loss, uh, confusion, disappointment. And Lord, I pray that uh, they would choose to keep turning back to you, to keep trusting you. Pray you'd work powerfully in their life. I pray you would help us as a church to be people who choose to turn back to you, to lean into you, to not turn away, to be people whose faith is deepened, that we might stand strong for you, even though nobody else is, and that we might stand strong in you when life seems to be going all the wrong ways. Thank you that there's nothing else in this world we can trust that will last except for you. Thank you for being that kind of God, and I pray that that truth would soak deep, deep into all of our lives, that we may live that out, including when we're in the fire. So I pray that for us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. If you are a college student in the Northwest, or if you simply want to see college students come to know Jesus, please connect with us by visiting Resonate.net.